Well, listen, uh, we are in the final week of our series on hope. Uh, this has been one of those series that it's been a, a great opportunity to put things together. You know, the first week we talked about what hope isn't. And I shared with you that, that for oftentimes we, we kind of have this idea of what we think hope is. And I said that hope isn't wishful thinking. You know, some of us think hope is wishful thinking. I hope this will happen. We talked about how, how hope is not um, something that, that we can plan for. Uh, but that hope is more ingrained in being uh, certain, that certain hope is what we plan for. And that's the hope that comes from God. That's the hope that you and I can't make happen, but it peels into one of those 7,000 promises that God gives us that appears in the Scripture that we can have and abide in hope um, all of our life. Last week, we looked at chaos. We, we took a journey uh, and, and looked at the life of what chaos was when the disciples kind of ran away from it all and, and Jesus appeared to them in an upper room. And I challenge you to, to, to work through some of the chaos in your life. And, and, I, and I shared with you one of those very important scriptures out of Psalm 46.1, where basically it says that, that God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of need. And I reminded us that in the midst of chaos, we need to kind of hold on to that promise. And we need to realize that, that God is the one who holds it all together for us. That even though we can't see God, even though we may not believe that God is there, in the midst of chaos, that we can trust that he is there for sure. Well, today we, we finished the series, week three, on hope and doubts. And I, I was going to have a little experiment this morning. I was going to actually bring out a, a large jar and a pitcher and I was going to fill it uh, kind of with some, some of the liquid that was in the pitcher. I thought, no, it would be tr too translucent. wouldn't be able to see it. And I thought I'd add some food coloring to it, kind of like a bright red. And that way you could see it in the glass jar. Well, um, let's just say that I had a white shirt that I started with today. Um, and obviously I'm not wearing white anymore. So, so I'm going to have to just kind of walk you through this imagery. So imagine that you have a glass and it's filled with water, but it's halfway. And the question I want to ask today as we begin this series on doubt is, how do you look at life? Do you look at life as being life is, is half full, or do you see life as being half empty? And there's two different ways to structure, two different ways to see that. And the question becomes, which way are we going to do that when we look at life itself? Well, in John chapter 20, uh, we learned a story about a, a guy who was hanging out with Jesus. He was one of his disciples. And um, we learned a little bit about the struggle that he has with doubt. In fact, um, he was putting so much headspace in all of his decisions in life that his head was getting in front of his heart, that he had so many details of life that he was looking at and trying to manage that he couldn't actually negotiate or live through life. And it became challenges abruptly in everything that happened for him. In fact, you probably could say that he lost sight of the forest through the trees. And it's a challenge that I think some of us see, that, that we get so involved in the details of our life that sometimes we miss the bigger picture. So today when we talk about doubt, I want to kind of frame our minds a little bit. I want to open us up a little bit more to see a bigger picture than maybe some things that we've seen before. So what was the problem in this time of John chapter 20. It goes like this. Jesus has been crucified. Um, he is dead. He's buried. And all of a sudden, it's been discovered that his body is gone. But, but they're not really sure what's going on or what has happened. In fact, they cannot even recall the many times that Jesus looked them in the eye and said, the time will come that I must go. 
And yet they fought on this and they had doubt and they weren't sure. And, and here they are dealing with this. Now, Thomas is the disciple we're going to talk about today. And, and John writes this. John says that uh, here in chapter 20, verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, uh, Thomas was not with the, with the others when Jesus came. Last week, we talked about how the others were in the upper room, and Jesus appeared. He walked through the locked doors, and I said that one of the things that we look for in life is how God can be invited in through the locked doors and the locked situations of our life, and God can help solve our problems and make a difference. So Thomas is not a part of this initial meeting. And, and so uh, Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came, John writes. He said, they told him, we've seen the Lord. So, so now all of this group of disciples who, who weren't really sure, who had been holed up in this room to be protected from Rome, they now all of a sudden are people saying, well, well we've seen Jesus. And Thomas replies, I, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands that I put my fingers into them, and I placed my hand in the wound of his side. Now, Thomas, what he's doing is very critical with where I want to go today. Thomas is asking questions. Thomas isn't sure. Thomas is saying, in order for me to maybe buy into what you're telling me, I kind of need to do this, or I need to see this, or I need to experience this. Isn't that kind of what what we do sometimes, you know, somebody might tell us something and, and we might, you know, hey, we want to believe it, but we're just not sure. And it's kind of like, you know, show me or prove it to me and, and demonstrate so that I can actually believe it. And, and that's what's happening with Thomas in this story. So if you've ever found yourself doubting things, my guess is that you probably have fallen into one of two categories of doubt. The first category is called self-doubt. Now, self-doubt is when you're not really sure that you can believe in yourself or that you can believe in someone else. Self-doubt kind of looks like this. Our leaders are telling us we need to do this, but I'm not really sure I can trust in their leadership. Or my coworkers telling me that I need to make this decision, but based upon what I know about my coworker, I'm not really sure that they have the credibility to do the right thing. You, you see how that works? So self-doubt. So we're constantly not really sure and we're second-guessing what can happen with those kinds of things. Here's what I believe. I, I believe God gives people and I believe God gives churches God-sized visions. And what I mean by that is, is a purpose, not like, not like a vision of you know, a bad burrito on Saturday night we wake up and we, you know, but, but, but God gives us a purpose, okay? And, and so God speaks to us in that way. And I believe that sometimes because those visions are so big and because we can't do it in our own strength, we have doubts. And what God is really saying is, follow me, allow me, give me the opportunity, let me show you, partner with me. So that's what self-doubt breeds. The, the second uh, doubting is called doubting God. This is a category that a lot of people fall into. We, we, we start moving through life and everything's fine, and then all of a sudden, something happens. Something comes out from left field. We're not really sure. Where'd that come from? Or why is this happening to me? And we start wondering. And then all of a sudden, we take the focus off of ourselves, and we start saying, well, wait a minute. If God really loved me, why would this happen? Or, or if God really was powerful, how could this possibly happen? Or, or all of those questions about God. In fact, suffering 
is probably the greatest topic that, that a lot of people who doubt God struggle with because they ask the question, they say, how can an all-loving and all-purposeful uh, God allow suffering in the world? And so we, we have a tendency to doubt God in those kinds of situations. Some of us even go a little step further and say, I know that they teach me to trust in God. I know that they teach me to believe in God, but how can I trust and believe in something I can't see? I can't touch, and I can't hear. And so that is called God doubt or doubting God. So the question about suffering comes back down to this thing that's planted in our mind. If, if God is all loving and all knowing, and God is truly for us, then why are these things happening? Thomas bought into this. Thomas bought into the fact that, that he was with Jesus, that, that he um, had become one who saw the miracles of Jesus, that he saw the healings of Jesus, that he listened to the teaching of Jesus, that he was in that ministry. And Thomas was walking around with the other 11, and, and they all saw the same things. But, but now that Jesus has died and has been uh, the place in the tomb, they're hiding. And so now Thomas is wondering, how can you tell me that you've seen the Lord and it's actually true when I'm doubting that you even believe what you saw. Thomas is doubting all those things. He's obsessing over details. He's wondering what to do. You see, a point had come for Thomas is that, that he knew about Jesus' crucifixion, and he knew what crucifixion was, how terrible that was. He had heard the stories of the Roman soldier piercing Jesus' side just to make sure that, that he, in fact, was dead. And so Thomas is going through all of these emotions and things that are happening to him. And his purposes and his hopes and dreams had been nailed to the cross. And everything that he had hoped for in Jesus could not become true. In fact, even the fact that Jesus was Messiah, the one who would reestablish Israel's kingdom and defeat Rome, um, all of that had become uh, called into question as well. And Thomas is doubting and he's not really sure. And he goes back to those words, unless I could place my hands in the nails and put my hand into Jesus' side, then I'm not going to believe anything that you've said. To me, this is called trauma. Thomas is experiencing trauma. He's witnessed things. He's lived through things. He's seen things that, that no one else should see. Some of us go through traumatic situations, whether they're relational whether they are employment-wise. Maybe it's in our vocation. We see a traumatic situation that happens before our eyes. It's not something we've asked for, but there it is. And trauma has a way of steering us away and into the ways of doubt. Trauma can do that. And that's what was happening with Thomas. And that's why Thomas said, I have to touch his hands. I have to touch his side. Because everything that I know about Jesus now, everything that I recall about Jesus, everything that I see about Jesus, I just don't know, I can't believe that if it's true. And he's struggling with what's happening. You see, this is where faith gets very interesting. A lot of people will tell you that, that um, faith is the opposite of doubt, or doubt is the opposite of faith. And, and I want to push on that a little bit today. Um, I want to push because the more I read the story of Thomas, the more I got into Thomas's life, the more I was looking and reading the scriptures and really trying to insert myself into this story, 
Um, I, I kind of pulled myself away from this whole faith and doubt argument that, that, that faith is the opposite of doubt, and, and I no longer believe that. I, I believe that, that doubt is seeking a deep, deeper understanding, that when I have doubts, I'm going to ask questions. When I have doubt, I'm going to step out and look for the bigger picture. When I have doubt, I'm going to put myself in positions so that I can observe and collect data or find out what is really the truth. And here's what I think. I think when we have doubts, I think it can actually bring us closer to God. Think about it. I'm pursuing the answers. I'm seeking God. I'm asking the questions. Even though they're the questions that, that people aren't really sure we should ask, like, God, are you real? Are you there? How can you help me? What's going on with this? And you can ask those questions, and the answers will come. Here, here's why I know that. Because we worship and love a God who suffers. You know, God, God suffered through life with us, right? And he suffers through life with us here. He, went, he became human. He, he went to death on a cross. He, he felt all the emotions and all, of the, all the tensions and things that we deal with in life. And God is well aware of the suffering. And sometimes when we ask the question, why won't God get rid of the suffering in the world? We don't have that answer. But what we do know is that there will be a time in history when God will eradicate all suffering in the world on the other side of eternity. So doubts come in, and this is where Thomas is. How can I believe when I have questions? And what do I do with that? John continues to write, eight days later the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas is with them. So last week in chaos we talked about when Jesus entered the room through the, unlock, or through the locked doors and through all the walls, that the three words he said to them was peace with you, and so now Thomas joins them. He's in the room with them. The doors are once again locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. And what does he say? This is another translation. He says, peace be with you. Another translation, peace upon you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your finger into the wound of my side. He says, Thomas, don't be faithless any longer, but believe. You see, I think it's really important that John records this transaction between Jesus and Thomas. Last week I said that one of the things I love about the scriptures is that we see the truth, we see that, that they didn't make themselves out to be all these superhumans and superheroes that never made mistakes, but they show us the raw reality of their life. And I think that, that the fact that John records this conversation between Jesus and Thomas is critical for those of us who at times have doubts, those of us who have questions. You see, I know people just like you know people, and those same people that we know are the people that will say, when we go to them and we say, I'm really struggling, or I'm having this problem or this issue, um, I'm searching for God, when, when do you think God will show up? Where's God in the midst of this pain? I mean, we, we find ourselves asking questions like that, right? And then there are some people that, that look at us and when we ask those questions, what's their response? Their response is, you need more faith. You're struggling because you don't believe, or, or they, they want to kind of put it all in that category. And, and I believe this conversation between Jesus and Thomas throws that out the window. And I believe that, that when we say things like that to each other, well, you just need more faith, or, or you don't have enough faith to believe, and all that, I think that's detrimental to our witness. I really do. 
And I think the worst thing that we can say to somebody who has questions about God, somebody who's just knocking on the door, somebody who wants to know a little bit more, I think the worst thing that we can do is put ourselves on a pedestal and talk down to people. That's the worst thing we can do. But because Thomas and Jesus have this conversation, we see something happen. In verse 26, 27, Jesus doesn't shame Thomas. So, so years ago, what would Jesus do? Remember that WWJD? What would Jesus do? Uh, at one time, I said they should have changed it to WDW. Uh, you know, what did, I can't get it right now. What did Jesus do? Not what would, but what did. And so we look at that. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus shame Thomas in this? No. Jesus actually looks at Thomas and he says, wait a minute. He says, I need you to do something. I need, what is it that's got you struggling to believe? The thing that Thomas did not believe in was he did not believe in the resurrection. We know Je uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he didn't believe in the resurrection either until later on in life. And Jesus comes and appears to Thomas and he says, what do I need to do for you for you to stop doubting? The Greek word here in the scripture for doubting means unbelief. Thomas, what do I need to do to help you help your unbelief? What do I need to do to help you better understand? And so that's when Jesus looks at that, and that's when Thomas answers the question, well, well, how about show me your hands and show me your side? And so Jesus looks at him and says, listen, if this is the evidence that you need to stop being an unbeliever, meaning a person of unbelief, then let me show you here. And so we learn that doubt and unbelief aren't really the same thing. I mean, think about it for a second. Before we start judging Thomas, before we you know, call him doubting Thomas, before we start you know, really coming down hard on him, let's look at who Thomas was. When Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, there was only one disciple who said, we need to go with Jesus, and wherever that leads, we need to follow. It was Thomas. John writes this, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to the cross, and he says, let's die with Jesus. I mean, this is courage. This is somebody who's willing to go the distance to die with Jesus. He's the only disciple who is unwilling to shy away from the tough questions. In John 14, chapter, verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you will come with me. None of the other disciples ask any questions. But Thomas. Thomas said, okay, Jesus, you're, you're telling us this, but, but we're not, I can't really, what does heaven look like? I don't, what is heaven? I don't know the way, he says. And Jesus said, Thomas, look at me. Let me help your unbelief. Look at me. Just focus on me, Thomas. I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. And because of me and through me, I go to prepare a place that's there for you. We all have doubts. We all have them. The scriptures say over and over again that we can believe, we can have faith, and we can still have doubts. How about the, the guy who comes to Jesus and says, heal my sick child, and, and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Same thing. 
So this is really important that we see this. Jesus, we believe, but help our unbelief. And it's those unbeliefs that creep up in our mind, but Jesus once again encourages us and shows us the truth. Here's Thomas, he's struggling. The risen Lord is right before him in that room. He sees Jesus. Thomas is struggling, and he makes a profession that will change his life. He says, my master, but then he says also, my God. And Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes, but even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. And John goes on to write that, that Jesus provided, provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. So John says, I can't even record them all. These are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way that he personally has revealed this. So looking at Thomas, it begs the question for us, who is Jesus? Some of us were taught that Jesus was created by God to come into the world to save us because we couldn't you know, deal with sin after the fall. Some believe that, that Jesus is kind of a um, subordinate figure. But John tells us a little bit about Christology, the understanding of the Christ. And John says that Jesus is God himself in the flesh. And this is so important in this conversation between Thomas and Jesus. Thomas has proclaimed Jesus to be Lord and Master. You see, some of us claim Jesus to be Lord. We claim him to be Master. But do we proclaim him to be God? And that's what Thomas sees and experiences in this time with Jesus. Thomas makes this proclamation. He says Jesus is not just a preacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a man. But Jesus not not even just Lord. He is God in the flesh with us. And what I love about this story is the one who is doubting God, God uses the doubter, the one with unbelief, to be the one who makes the proclamation that Jesus is God. Folks, this, this is powerful stuff. Jesus then told him, John writes, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. So the question becomes, what, what are you gonna do with this? What are you gonna do with your doubt? What are you gonna do with your unbelief? C.S. Lewis is a secular writer who became a Christian. He became a very critical uh, opponent to the Christian faith. He was scientific in mind, he was a great writer, and he just wasn't sure about this whole Jesus thing. Probably would have called himself an atheist, a non-believer. And Lewis began to think more and pray more. He began to ask questions. In the midst of his doubts and his unbelief, God led him to a discovery. And the discovery is the same that happened to Thomas. In his book, Mere Christianity, here's what Lewis writes. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept or claim him to be God. That's the one thing that we must not say, that he's only a moral teacher and he's not God. Lewis says we cannot say that. 
He says, a man who is merely a man and should and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he's a poached egg, or else, that's British humor, or else um, he would be the devil of hell. Lewis goes on to say, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a, a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he never intended to. So Lewis has this conversion experience like Thomas, and through the questions and the doubts that he had, he becomes faithful in loving and following Jesus Christ. So the question is, what will we do with our doubts? How will we process that? Will we follow somebody that has been labeled a lunatic or, or a poached egg? Or will we follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The question becomes, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And what are you gonna do with that? What will it take to move you from an unbeliever to a believer? What will it take to help encourage you to take that next step in your faith? You see, Jesus, God, came to Thomas, the doubter, which means Jesus, the God, comes to you and me when we doubt. Think about that.